So all of the things I've got notes on are follow-up. And not because we've got feedback, really, just because I want to follow up on them. Sure. Which I guess is why follow-up is a better word than feedback. Mm. Better phrase? I don't know. Anyway. Hmm. So the first item on my list is diversity and inclusivity. Um, so, so last episode we discussed diversity in regards to, uh, specifically in regards to like DubDub and, and Google I.O. Yeah, I, th- I think I made, I intended to make a passing observation that um, when I was watching Google's I.O. keynote, it struck me in passing that it seems like their um, lineup of speakers was right. a little bit more diverse than dubbed up. It turned mm-hmm. into somewhat more of a yeah. discussion. Then we got into it. And um, and, and I think, to be perfectly honest, um, I think we may, like you and I may have been kind of arguing two different, completely different points, um, which kind of we got a bit caught on and that's how, how the whole thing turned into a bigger thing than it was. Um, this week, I wanted to touch on it again. Partially because we had some people make comments and I've also kind of done some additional consideration on this because Ooh, okay. I felt I felt the need to I, I felt after the after the actual thing went out, after the episode went out and I kind of had time to actually think on it, I was not perfectly happy with the way that it came out. Sure, if you, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, because I don't necessarily know that we we went anywhere with it, which was a which is always kind of this thing that I've got with what we're like what I keep in and, and cut out. Yeah, but it was in, it, it needed to be in the I, I, th- I thought that it needed to be in. For, there were there were many reasons why it needed to be in, but we never really got to a conclusion because we never really found a middle ground because we were talking about two different points. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so in regards to like the people that we see from Apple as, and, and Google, I had a look at Apple's um, executive bios and Google's executive bios. Yeah. I had a look at those two the, pages. The pages well. for which I will stick in the show notes. So Apple, it turns out have two women across the, both the board and the executives. Is that the vice president for retail who was formerly from... Um, yes. And that UK fashion brand. The Burberry? Burberry. 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 Yeah. And the vice president for environmental... I had these open and I closed them apparently. So how many people is the, that total? Who was the former CEO uh, of the 17 EPA, people total. I think. 17 people total, um, two of which are women. One of those women... I believe is Asian American. I think that's the correct term. So that's the that and then everybody else is like a white male guy in a particular age range. Fairly standard age range across yeah. the board. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's what like a it's like a 10% diversity quotient quotient ratio. I don't know. Google has significantly more people on across the two teams, mm-hmm. um, but there are they are in many more pies than Apple is. Um, to be fair, so they have like twenty something. I had the number. I I, I counted them all. And I've forgotten the exact numbers, but it's it's in kind of mid twenties, I think. Um, they have 
at least a couple of different people of color, a few women in there. It's probably about a 20, 25% mix. Yeah, okay. Um, so, I mean, that kind of... T- the, the my observation from those keynotes wasn't a, like a scientific analysis no, of no, no. particular representatives and I'm of not, different I'm not trying to like ethnic backgrounds but it kind of that that, that kind of um, fits with the sense that I got right that perhaps Google have a, a greater variety of people yes in those sorts of roles right than Apple exactly do, and perhaps throughout the rest of the company I don't know yeah well I mean it, it, the the thing is is that like it's it's very clear that Google has a lot of people from a lot of different places um in in amongst their team right? and I, I think that's what i was getting at and yeah perhaps one of the reasons we didn't get to a conclusion in our discussion last episode and we mightn't this time is that i'm not sure i am um, like i've got a particular point that i want to make or a particular conclusion i want to get to but i just have a little set a personal sense of disquiet and uncomfortableness um and perhaps it comes from my own um you know my own personal position which is i feel like um apple's a company that is very much considered that considers themselves a u.s company very much considers that their headquarters is in silicon valley in cupertino and the opportunities for people that want to contribute to that feel somewhat narrow to me Mm -hmm. that that so narrow that they perhaps wouldn't include me because i'm not in a position where i i can lift up and move my family. I'm not in a position where I can dedicate the hours yeah. that they'd probably well, want. Well, I mean, yes, of course. And so I guess that's my personal take on it. Right. And then when I see um, a different makeup of speakers at a conference or a different makeup of people on it kind of quietly bios, that I just kind of it, it kind of affirms opinion. this perhaps, yeah. perhaps unfair preconceived notion that I have that, um, you know, and maybe that's, that's not a big deal. Maybe it's just a personal issue I've got and it doesn't warrant any further con- conversation right or maybe it is a problem that that apple are perhaps too insular and are missing out on meaningful contributions from people who happen to live somewhere else in the world or who happen to not have a lifestyle that enables them to work the hours that might be asked of them or sure i think the one thing that we've got to keep in mind is um is is i think the point that i was trying to make last time which is that the people that we see on stage, especially at like keynote, State of the Union, Apple press events and stuff like that, don't necessarily represent the makeup of the teams that actually work on projects. Yeah, sure. Um, which, to be fair, like it's not like you're going to walk in and suddenly become vice president of something. But you, you like if you were to get a if you were to get a job there, it would be as an engineer in some particular area. Which is not... I reckon I'd be the coffee guy. <laughs> guy. I could do that. Right. And the thing is, is that we, we're not really ever going to get a full sense of what it is like unless we're in no. within Apple, and, like and of again, what it's like inside. Perhaps this is, this is again coming back to why we didn't reach a conclusion in our conversation is I don't think, feel well-informed enough to make a, a cogent argument. Right. I'm just... Expressing random observations. Okay, cool. And not willing to back them up with sort of hard claims that, that you should listen to them. So there is good news in that regards. Excellent. Um, so a few weeks ago, I think it was, Google released a diversity report. Hmm. Um, and it is my understanding that Apple will be doing the same at right. some point in the near future. Yep. These reports are all about how diverse a company they are mm-hmm. and is probably a little bit of, you know, playing it up, which is... 
perfectly okay, um, but it's going to give us some insight as, as to what it is like on the inside of the company yeah. where we don't get a lot of visibility. Yeah. And actually that kind of leads into something else that kind of came up as part of this whole thing, right? Um, it was suggested that I think we, we talked about forced diversity um, last week. I don't necessarily know that we used that sort of wording where it's like you know, Google yeah. was playing it up a bit. Yeah, I think I said that probably. Stupid. And kind of making a deal of making sure that they have a diverse range of people on mm. stage. Um, Apple doesn't necessarily do it. I think it's partially because I'd like to think that it's partially because they, they care about like more about the actual presentation as opposed to who's presenting that may not, may very well not be the case that may, they may not be mutually exclusive. Who knows? But the actual term of forced diversity, which was something that we got in feedback is, is something that I want to kind of think about because I, I think the forced part, it sounds really negative. And we've talked about like, do you go about like, do we have women on this show? Like, do we bring in women on this show just in order to bring in more women on this show? Which we haven't done yet. And I kind of feel bad now that I'm bringing <laughs> up again. Um, we talked about that in episode 29, which was called um, WWDC doesn't have... Donuts, I think. Wow, you've got a great memory. I looked it up. Then you've got a terrible memory. WWDC does have donuts. The first dub dub I went to had no, a dub- table piled high with donuts with Krispy Kreme. It was the first time I'd ever oh. tasted them. I've still got photos. It was like literally like a round table and it was a pile so that if you put another one on top, it probably would have t- some, they would have started tumbling off. I swear I had a donut this year. It was rubbish. I got the I got the title a bit wrong. <laughs> the title is um, they they don't have popcorn at WWDC. No, they don't. There was no popcorn. No, see, that's an omission. Yeah, apparently they did. Very sad. Um, but we talked about forced diversity then because we were talking about it in regards to yeah. The, I mean, gender hiring issue. practice. If, if yeah. you want to have a conversation that's about gender and not necessarily about technology, I could talk about it at some length because I'm. So this is a thing like uh, in Australia there are groups who are interested in keeping track of how many women are represented on company boards as a measure of whether or not there's diversity or gender diversity in our workforce. Mm -hmm. And you could argue that, um, you know, that it isn't necessarily about trying to achieve a particular quota. Um, But the flip side is if, if an organization's culture is supportive of people from diverse genders, then you would expect that any random sample of people from that organization would have roughly 50% male and 50% female. Sure. So if that's not the case, you could need to start asking questions about why. Um, And too often I think people's retort is, oh, well, um, it's all merit-based and clearly if people um, were good enough at their jobs, they would have been promoted and there would be more women. Um, So obviously there just aren't women that are, are worth promoting around. But I think no one really believes that. So there's usually a whole heap of other reasons why the culture of an organization might make it easier for some people to achieve promotion than others. Mm-hmm. Um, technology makes it, you know, introduces a whole another different thing in that uh, it's historically been a field that has attracted more men than women, like t- just to the field generally. Um, yeah, so it's really complex. Hmm. Um, however, I kind of am interested in what you're saying about these diversity reports coming out. 
Yeah. Because I, I do think it is worth – I hope that all of these organisations are trying to improve themselves and trying to be the best organisations they can be. And I think part of that is to reflect on the culture of your organisation and say, are we actually giving uh, equal opportunities to a diverse range of people? Yeah, right. Or have we structured ourselves in a particular way that excludes certain groups? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, well, I mean, the, the thing is, is that like um, in some other industries, right, this this sort of thing is happening where they're starting to realise that they need to be more diverse. Um, I think it was the British film industry have... Uh, have instigated a three-tick program. I'm not exactly sure of the super intricate details, but it basically is this thing of you have to have at least two out of three of these items, and the whole point of it is to get a more diverse range of people in leading roles, uh, you know, good gender equality, good equality of race and stuff like that. And I think that that's particularly important for industries which are responsible for shaping the culture so the film industry is not just an employer but it's an industry that helps us reflects our culture back to us yeah and if it's only if if people certain groups are excluded from that then there's a danger that the culture that's reflected back to us isn't actually representative of who we are Mm. but is just a skewed take on it kind of think technology might be partly that as well like these are devices that are starting to really influence and infiltrate all aspects of our lives and kind of changing our lives, hopefully for the better in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but if those products are being created by people that aren't necessarily representative of the community at large, you know, is everyone having a, having a role in, yeah. Well, I, it's, it's certainly like a, a thing to kind of keep in mind and to, to look at when, you know, when attending things like dub dub and IO and stuff like that, and you know, I think in the the whole point really is that you know f- of this whole forced diversity thing is whether or not forced is actually the correct word. And I, but I think I think maybe it should be like maybe we should be forcing some div- diversity. I don't really know what you mean by that term, or what the was meant by in the feedback. Well, it's I think it's more. I th- I think the way that it was put to us was negative, right? But I think forced is a context sensitive word. And I think that's that's kind of what it got me thinking on was whether or not being whether or not trying to force diversity into a workplace. When you, when you is a say good first, thing. you mean sort of that a conscious effort has been made that it's artificially right, artificially it, kind of it's come enforced. about through yeah some policy or yeah. some decision as opposed to just organically happened yeah. that way. Yeah, right. I, I think that well, that's the way that I kind of looked at it, and I think in that in that context, like forced is not necessarily a bad thing and I didn't or at least I don't think it has to be a bad thing I mean it's it's kind of one the, the way I kind of look at it is like when you were a kid you were forced to do things that you didn't want to do like clean yeah. your room but they were for, like they were for your own good and for the good of you know people who had to live with you <laughs> so I guess I I like the idea that organizations are making a conscious effort to think about it yep if that's happening that's great um but I personally would hope that um, diversity could be achieved through sort of fundamental change to to an organization's culture that means that it doesn't need to be a conscious thing all the time. Do you, right. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that if you've got a situation where you're sort of saying, oh, we've got to hire someone, perhaps we should pick someone from this particular group because it will help with our diversity, that's 
good that people are thinking about it, but yep. hopefully um, your hiring policies and your HR policies and the way that you plan your workforce and the way you accommodate different ways and styles that people like to work and different hours and all of that would mean that um, you're actually getting really good candidates from a variety of backgrounds anyway and you're picking the best candidates for the sure. role and it ha- right. just ends up happening that you have a really interesting and good mix as a result. In that regard, I think um, I want to kind of throw back to another industry like um, the, the diamonds, right? The whole whole industry surrounding diamonds came has basically grown out of like a series of advertisements, a series of uh, you know pushes from diamond manufacturers, no miners or whatever they are, uh, to basically to make diamonds far more expensive than what they actually are worth right um and a lot of the stuff that we have that we kind of take for granted that's in no way really tied to that particular industry is still with us today like even right down to like giving your uh, an engagement ring with a big hunkin diamond on it um that comes from a an advertisement from like the 1930s or something um and in that way, I think it could almost be the same thing where if we're if we're doing things like if we're seeing that Google is like playing it up and making you know a conscious thing of let's put diversity on stage if that's what they're doing. And I'm not sure that it was. It may not be. Who knows? Uh, if that is what they're doing, then maybe it will get to the point where so many people do the same thing because Google did it and whatever and it just becomes it becomes the norm to have that up there and to have people of various backgrounds on stage presenting things of various descriptions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a real good sentence. Um, and so in that way, I think that maybe, maybe even if it it was that Google was playing it up, maybe it wasn't a bad thing if it ends up with the right result. I think that was my like thoughts over across, across the last couple of weeks that, since we've talked about it and we've had half a discussion, but since then, yeah. um, in a very loud room, um, at Cocoa Heads. Yeah. Cause that's what we discuss at Cocoa Heads. We, we discuss everything except actual, <laughs> you know, projects. <laughs> that was kind of my, my train of thought about the whole thing. And I, I feel like, I felt like, you know, post that episode, it needed to be clarified what we were actually trying to communicate because I don't know that we communicated it very well, which again leads back to episode 29 where we talked about communication styles uh, in regards to, you know, communicating well with your listeners and not saying guys too much. Uh, And I mean, at the end of the day, we we can't really, like we as in us three, can't really speak a lot because we you know we we are still three white guys sitting in a room um but i I think we we're all in agreement that we would like to see more diversity and we're certainly open to more diversity where where we can where we can get it and if we have to make a conscious effort to do so then i think that's okay that's what i had to say on that (laughs) you sound like forrest gump (laughs) (laughs) life is a box of chocolates some of them have really bad centers and you just have to pick around them. Um, yeah. So that's my first bit of follow up. <laughs> have you got any more? Cause I've got some. Too. I've got some, I have got some more, but if you've got some. Um, so 
some of we I think we spoke about accessibility. Was that last time? We did talk about accessibility mm-hmm. last time. Uh, two, one bit of follow up, slightly maybe, and then a top a new topic that also touches on accessibility. So why don't we do the follow up now and the new follow topic up later? And we can talk about the topic later. We get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Marco Arment from Accidental Tech Podcast um, had a blog post this week about accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the points that he made in his post was he thinks that Apple should test for accessibility during the app review process. And I can't remember if he was advocating the position, although I think he was, that they should potentially reject apps if they don't comply, if they're not accessible. Um, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but I think it's a fantastic idea for Apple to review apps for accessibility during the, the review process. And I think that perhaps there should be an accessible accessibility kind of badge or yeah, category sure. or some way for people that, for example, are voiceover users to know where they're browsing the app store, whether a particular app it works well with voiceover or not. Mm. Like the kids category. Yeah, exactly. Special mm. requirements yep. to even get in it. Yeah. And, and that way I think that perhaps you wouldn't need the stick approach of saying make your app accessible or we'll reject it. But there's this carrot approach of saying make your app accessible <laughs> and we'll promote it and we'll right. make it clear to people that, that might really appreciate that, that you've made the extra effort. So I think I'd love to see that as well if there was a accessible I'm really badge. surprised they haven't done that. They put yeah. so much work into like making these devices so accessible and write an write an email to Angela, the store lady from Burberry. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> say I don't. I, I I am not even going to try and pronounce her last name. I I had it up on the screen at one stage and I was trying to pronounce it earlier. So is she in charge of the app yeah, store as well. She's she's charge, yeah. She is in charge of uh of retail and online stores. Oh right. Yeah. Wow, okay. So she's but essentially like Johnny Ive is now like hardware design as well as software design. I yeah. believe she's like And online stores as well as stores. for digital goods as well as physical goods. Well I'm just reading this Fair one enough. I read. Okay. So I may have had it wrong, but email somebody. I think and That's she'll forward it on if you email or, it. Or just you know, send person. her this podcast. <laughs> um, I do think, so I do think it's a good idea of sort of saying, um, and in fact, during the accessibility testing we did with visually impaired users, that question was put to us is, you know, is there a category in the app store of some way of finding out which apps support voiceover? And I don't think there is. No, not that I know of. There you go. Uh, so that was all the follow-up I had. But there's more in accessibility. Yeah, so... Um, I'm sure you probably saw it already, but Andy Dreisen over the weekend wrote a friend of the show, friend of the show, <laughs> friend of every, the show. Every, Andy, everybody's a friend of the show around yeah. here. Um, We're a friendly bunch. We're just like if if we have met you ever in our lives, you're probably a friend of the show, even if we haven't actually. If you but just write yes. to us. If, well, if if even if you if you exist and if you listen, let's let's be honest. <laughs> if you're listening, you're a friend. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right. So anyway, he created a drop in. I don't know what the technical word is. We'll call it a drop-in module. I would, I would. It's just like a library, isn't it? It's a static yeah, library. Library, but it's. I think you got to put a view in or something. Anyway, um, to simulate your app in colorblind modes. So there's lots of different forms of colorblindness, yeah. and it's really easy to switch between all of them. And and actually, it actually kind of yeah. touches on um, one of the things that I mentioned last week, last episode. Which was I said I tried to suggest that like a game would be good to be able to kind of visualize, for lack of a better word, what it's like to not have 
vision <laughs> um, in an app, like in having to like get around that. And mm. that's essentially what this library does, right? It basically makes, I mean, you can have like colorblind modes, which ha- do the various different yeah. color changes, but you also have this, um, this blur thing, like a slider for a blur. Um, so you can essentially turn the blur all the way up and you will be completely lost because it's just basically mess of color. Yeah. And so it's it's very similar to like you'd have to use voiceover to get, get find your way around and do the all the touchy yeah, cool. business. Yeah, it's very cool. It and kind it works, of enforces it. Works in real time as well, so you can tap through your app and it's nice. not like it just takes a rendering and then outputs it to some screenshot somewhere. Yeah. I think it's like I think it's kind of the thing the sort of thing where you could just drop it into your app and just kind of almost yeah. leave it there and just kind of use it. Hmm. It goes into the settings bundle. I noticed. I think I, don't, I think maybe he set it up that way for his um, for his app, which is Tube Tracker or something or other. But he had the, there's an example app that comes with it. Yeah, where all the all the uh, options are there directly in the user interface, cool. and it has a spinny color wheel that shows you all the different colors. Cool. We'll have to check it out. Yeah, we'll we'll throw the link for that in the show notes, and I believe I tweeted it from the mobile couch Twitter account earlier this week or last week whatever week before because of the time timing timing thing yeah if you're listening to this in the future it may have been a year ago (laughs) hey whoa (laughs) time travel have to go have to you'll have to dig to find it it'll probably have been updated several times maybe so some of the follow-up that I wanted to touch on was my QA experiment, which I touched on last week when I talked about static tables. I remember the conversation about static tables, but I don't remember the QA experiment. So, well, it's not really, I didn't really call it a QA experiment, but that's what's on my notes. Um, so prior to releasing static tables, I decided to send my code out to a bunch of people. That's right, yep. Yes. I do and remember get them that. to essentially QA yeah, the give code you feedback. and give me feedback. How did that go? Um, so I sent it to about uh, six or seven people who put their hands up and said, yeah, I'll, I'll have a look, Inclu- as well as you guys. I just picked on the name. He he gave me at least one bit of good feedback. Yeah, I didn't even look at it. Actually, I got one other thing, didn't I, a property type or something. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You, and you picked up on the – I think you picked up on one of the property names and I changed that um, because it wasn't very clear. I read it um, in GitHub, so I think a lot of I think. <laughs> well, I mean, I to I sent to everybody else. I sent out the code in a zip file, so they didn't get the benefit of a repository. Actually, if anyone from GitHub's listening, if you click on a link that someone sent you on your mobile, just four oh fours. GitHub does not work. Their links do not redirect to mobile properly. Thank you, GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that will be fixed now. <laughs> So uh, I didn't get a huge amount of feedback. I got I, like I'm, I got maybe two or three emails in total. Um, they did range very drastically. Um, I got at least one email that was really good feedback and gave me a lot of pointers, which was really good for just for my own knowledge. Um, and pointers, a, yeah. good pun. Pointers? No, no one. Okay, <laughs> you gave you a lot of pointers. Yeah, uh, I get it. Sorry. <laughs> it's late at night. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, just very, some of them are very simple things, but because I'm, you know, because I always have been working in kind of a silo, it, it's the sort of thing that just, you just continue doing it because mm. nobody ever tells yeah. you that it's wrong. Um, and so, you know, I, I got to learn a few new things and apparently 
that he got to learn new things as well. Um, I also got other feedback, very different feedback. Like some people actually sent feedback of, well, I don't really have a use for this. Um, I use I use static table views in Interface Builder. Why are you looking at me? I didn't even give you any feedback. <laughs> no, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. I was told to. Uh, I was told to embrace Interface Builder. Um, really? Yeah. Um, wow. I just, I, just, I didn't want to get into it. Get into a discussion about about it. But maybe I do now. No, I've done that before. <laughs> um. But that being said, like there are a bunch of new features in Interface Builder. Yeah, it's pretty. And I, I look at you know how much I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's pretty but, high value but now. Telling you how much I love it, um, I still think that there's a time for code, and and it sounds like what you're doing is really quick and easy. With you yeah, know, very well, I mean, I'm, configure. and I'm not fishing for like you know, uh, you know, uh, compliments on that. Like it's I, not. I can give you some more if you do want just, them. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um. I mean, there's a whole reason as to why I don't use Interface Builder and haven't used it in the past. And maybe that will change with Xcode 6, which I haven't had a chance to play with um, to its full extent. So I haven't really had the opportunity. I will probably be playing with it when I do develop further libraries that you know create controls and stuff like that. Um, so we'll see. That's we'll okay. See. It would have just crashed anyway. <laughs> it is a um, beta. Beta? It's very beta, beta. beta. But yeah, it was it, like, getting people to QA the code was actually very like actually I think maybe I would have got more feedback had I given them access to the repository. Mm. GitHub doesn't really allow for that very well. In order to provide access to a private repository, you have to be a group, company, organization. That's the word. Really? Yeah. Right. So they can provide access read-only access to a private ah. repository. Oh, okay. Whereas if I wanted to give access, I'd Just have to give it get a, as a collaborator. And yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want to do that. Um, At least you could I'm, roll back. Let's get... Well, it's true. I could roll back, but I also... like I, did, I would rather, if they wanted to contribute, I would rather them do that through the standard you know pull request means, which means that they get proper... There's the, a yep. proper channel, which that doesn't... Like, that's not available. And it has been pointed out to me that had I gone to... Had I put the code into Bitbucket, that could have been the case, but nevertheless, didn't happen this time. But it's the sort of thing where I think it probably would have been a lot more useful had I done it with mm. GitHub. But I think it was a really useful process. Mm. Actually, pointing like pulling some people out and saying, "Hey, can you look at this code? Can you give me some pointers?" Hey, I, th- <laughs> I think it just goes to show the more people you have looking at something, offering different points of view from their different perspectives, <laughs> the better quality product you end up with. Indeed. Indeed. The more people you can tell they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, that was that's kind of the extent of it. And I'm not going to go into like into huge detail on it. Uh, static Tables is out, has been out since the last episode. I didn't put a link in the show notes because I forgot. But it's out there in the world and people are... Ignoring it, which is fine, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. I'm feeling really bad now. Look, I've been busy. I've had a big week. No, no, I'm not. No, 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 no I'm not blaming you. Jeez. It, so it has been a big week. It's been very exciting. We well, shipped, you guys shipped an, an app. app. Yeah, I know. It's Ooh, super we exciting. More than one. I saw. Well, the, I saw the blog post today. Yeah. We saw. We shipped multiple versions of the same app. On yeah, many so, different platforms. So Black, that's, that's Black, several apps. Blackberry. 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 
Woo! Up and coming market that one. We mm-hmm. just wanted to be yeah. in first. Android, iOS, web, Windows Mobile, web, crickets. Web. They use the web crickets. <laughs> Windows Mobile. I personally would much rather have done a Windows Mobile than BlackBerry. Yeah, for sure. But it turns out BlackBerry can now run Android apps. The rumor is Windows Mobile is going to do the same thing. That's that's kind of sad, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, because it doesn't. It's not really Windows Mobile anymore, is it? Nope. Um, well, I, hope, still I, I hope that's not true. I hope Windows is actually a viable third platform, um, because. Is it a viable third platform? Because well, no. my understanding is that it's not, not viable. <laughs> it's a third platform. Yeah. Don't know about viable. So I am sad because, um, you know, personally, I am interested in different mobile operating systems and would love to have more time with more of them. Um, I think we've all got a lot to learn from seeing what each platform does really well. Um. And I say it's unfortunate because I've never had an opportunity to spend much time with Windows Mobile because, uh, unfortunately, um, to pay the bills, I've got to do work that clients want me to do. <laughs> and generally, people want to release apps on platforms that have lots of users. Yep. And Windows Mobile isn't one of them. I don't think I've ever had a single request or even a mention of, can we do Windows Mobile? I do I've know, never had it. I am involved somewhat in a project that is releasing an app for Windows Mobile. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I'm well, depends how you look at it. I'm not involved in coding the yeah. Windows Mobile version because technically I'm kind, of, I'm kind of interested, right? But it's I don't think I could ever justify the time it would take to get get into that platform. Um, Xamarin. I'm yeah. imagining Xamarin support for Windows Mobile is would probably, probably be pretty good. top-notch. Yeah. Well, can, can you... Would you be able to properly make it a like a native feeling Windows mobile app? For the, sure. The That's thing is Xamarin's whole very thing. different. Oh yeah, Xamarin it's not like one of those universal looking things. Okay. It would it would look as yeah. native as they come. You would not be able to tell the difference. Okay. Even on iOS you would not you yeah. wouldn't be able to pick it. Well, I'm sure I probably already use several I actually Xamarin bet apps. you do. I'm surprised. Yeah. The more I've been using Xamarin, the more I realize that there's probably a whole heap of the apps out there that are written using them. But web apps that are apps that are just web views. Oh my god! This yeah, this that can one. Tell them is that away. the, well, the ho- weather one? What's that weather one? There was one oh, example right. that someone made of the best web app of all time. Oh right, yeah, Forecast.io. Uh, that was good. Yeah, but that was pretty I'm good. Talking, really what I'm good. talking about is apps that are like that are sold through the app store or whatever, but yes, they're just I know web exactly views. what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, the yeah. Hoyts, the, the latest Hoyts app, Hoyts is in Australia is a cinema company um, for Americans and they have theaters, et cetera. Cinema, cinema, theaters. cinema, Cinemas? yes. Anyway, uh, their latest app, just a web app, is just a web app, literally just a web app. It's just a web view, like it's one web view, mm. doesn't do anything else. Everything loads like a web. It's the worst. Freaking worst. It's very never pretty, works. though. It's very that, pretty. That'll yeah. get, it never works when I want yeah. it to. That'll get better in iOS 8, this improvements to yeah. the web view now gets the same JavaScript. WK web view, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See, my problem is things like I've loaded it several times and I've just got a black screen. Just black. Just yeah. black. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Um, nothing. And it's because I think it's because the like the the internet connection is being silly and so therefore it's just like yeah i can't access the internet so therefore you have a black screen 
Look, I'm, I think I'm still of the opinion, like I've heard so many people talk about technologies that offer the promise of right once run everywhere. I yep. think I'm still of the opinion that what we did with this latest app, we'll stick a link in the show notes. Um, it's an app to let people uh, find out how much appliances will cost to run, the power costs of appliance. So if you're buying a fridge, you can figure out how much that fridge is going to cost you for a year. Um, or more. Or more. Five years, ten years, compare it to other fridges. Not 20 years. No, well, you could just... What I've, you'd have to do that in your head. Yeah, um, it's what I've always wanted to do. I know it is. Uh, so we did um, a web, mobile optimized web app, yep. um, which kind of covers all bases. Uh, it works on Windows Mobile. Um, and also iOS and Android if you can't be bothered installing a native app. You know, sometimes you just want to look something up and you don't really want to go to the effort of yeah. installing yeah. Um, But then we did native iOS and native Android. And I, I think I'd do that again. Like, I, I think that makes sense, right? That the bulk of the reuse, the opportunity for reuse is in the design of the app, the concept, thinking through, you know, what's the whole point of the app? Uh, how's how's the navigation structured? What does it look like? How are people going to use it? And then the back end, how do you make data available to it? All of that is where the bulk of the work is. And then right. sort of front-end development is, I, I don't feel like it's the biggest yeah, but in saying that, I have noticed now that we're it's been released, and so we're getting these like minor bug reports. Yeah, and having and to fix them, it in multiple places. Yeah, most of them are like, I'll say back end, behind the scenes stuff. So not the user interface. So generally, I know with Xamarin at least, with Xamarin you can write the back end of your app in one spot, the and ba- then the back end of your client. Yeah, app. not the server side, the back end of the client app. Right. So the data like controllers, the, controllers the model stuff. layer, yeah. all of that. That gets written once, and then you re-implement the view side for every platform so that it looks nice and native. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty, I think every bug report that's come through so far has been to do with something in that back model layer. Controller. And so now my current process is fix the iOS one, fix the Android one, rebuild the Android one for BlackBerry, and then fix the web one, and then deploy. So it's like very involved. Is a lot of repetition. And it's the same. It's generally the same bug. Like... Yeah. Once you fixed it once, it's fast to find it in the other ones. But yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. It's interesting because uh, having said that, I agree with you. Spending time using Xamarin as well has made me sort of think that that's a viable option too. So yeah, I actually, still, I actually really like Xamarin. I still that's have concerns about the um, the investment that you'd need to make in Xamarin. Yeah, it's a it's a huge third party dependency, which yeah. I'm not sure I like. Yeah, and and how comfortable I would be making that decision for other people. Like, yeah. You know, I'm. I think I'd be comfortable using that technology where the people I'm working with are bought into that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone just says, oh, "I want an Android app and I want an iOS app," I, I would want to at least involve them in that conversation. Um, I think I've heard of people sort of just using Xamarin and delivering the apps and say, "There you go, I've done your apps for you," and not necessarily telling people. Yeah, it makes it hard it. to find it. Like when you later on, like years down the track, you want to get a developer to update your app mm. and you call up some guy and say, hey, I've got this Apple app. And he rocks up, it's in Xamarin. And you wouldn't have any clue if you weren't technical. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. I, I don't know. I, I think the, the the when we've discussed a Xamarin before, the kind of overwhelming uh, theory about like when you would use it um, has been like when when a company or a government entity or whatever want to release an app, but don't have the ability to get like bring in new resources for, um, 
for you know like hiring somebody to specifically work on ios yeah but i also think that like if you were um yourself wanting to build a multi-platform mobile app product service that you had an ongoing commitment to and you're building a team around it like that's another i think potential for using xamarin whereas where it's you know you're going to be around to continue to work on it in the future as well. You're not like handing it off to someone and expecting them to know how to deal with it. Well, the ideal is that you hand it off to like Google or something for you know, <laughs> in response to like several billion dollars. Yeah, okay. So like, Google might be you know, three or four Instagrams. Yeah. Uh, I think is the term these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah look, um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the, the whole idea of writing once and running everywhere has always kind of been. Like the whole idea has been kind of awful because you know typically those apps look awful and especially on especially on like desktop where they like you can tell mm. when an app is yeah. running like Java or something. And look, I think when it comes down to it, is that there is no one answer. And I think the that promise of right once running everywhere, it's too easy for slightly technical people to think yes, that's it, that's going to solve all of our problems. Whereas I think the reality is, for any particular situation, there's a whole variety of technologies you could use. And in some cases, picking certain technologies make, might, might make your work easier moving across platforms. For, so, for example, you were bemoaning web views. Right. Could be that there are certain apps where having some content just like laid out using web technologies actually makes a lot of sense if you know that you're going to have the same layout appear on multiple platforms and each platform does support web views and you can kind of nicely integrate it with native technologies. Mm. Um, and then in other cases, you might pick something like Xamarin, or, or you might do it all native. I think my biggest issue with the with the Hoyts app specifically is that it doesn't have any sort of like uh, caching involved, and so every time you load the app, it's just loading like it's a website. And why even bother See, but, having a web? But why even, even bother even having an app? Even a website, right? Could can have caching, right? You can yeah, have yeah, uh, offline. Yeah. What are they called? Yeah. Um, you can provide a manifest file. Yeah. And that will mm. that will basically cache everything. And you can use things like, um, like you know, web. You can uh, use local storage, local storage, use, and yeah. all that sort of stuff to basically provide a web app, which is what Forecast.io is all built on. Yeah. So that you're not like it's not having to fetch like a, a page from the server every time it loads. It's mm. doing yeah. most yeah, of its exactly. work in the in. Yeah. And it just happens cache. to be using HTML and CSS for its rendering presentation, right? JavaScript for its logic. When written of, well, like any time, yeah, a web app like a web view app can do very well speaking of which did you see the google android l stuff web stuff apparently they're going to they're trying to make it like a no i haven't seen primary thing it's pretty awesome yeah so um the last last maybe one before last atp touched on it and they had a link in the show notes to we, it we actually mentioned that and linked right. to them for there that you same go. reason uh but there was a link in theirs to a um uh, gallery of widgets of the web uh, implementation of um, which is what I looked material at design. After, uh, there you go. We linked to it. We did. Okay. Follow the link in our show because that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I followed it and it was cool. It really does perform well. And it kind of starts like I'm with you. Most of the time I use uh, an app that has got some web technologies in it and I kind of cr- cringe a little bit because I can. it just feels kind of sticky feels and slow dirty. and yeah. like it's not working right. Um, this was at the other end of the spectrum. So yeah, it's like anything really. Like you can write something that is really, really bad and is slow and is 
kind of clunky and it can be completely native. And you can write super fast things that are built in web views and, mm. and stuff like that. The thing is, is that it's all about how you write it and yeah. how you engin- like how you architect it and how you engineer it into making it good for the users. Mm. And that's the whole like when it comes down to it, like all of these other discussions about write once they run everywhere, Xamarin over native over um, you know, building several different platforms completely native over web views over everything when it comes down to it the answer is very 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 simple what is going to be the best experience for your user Mm. like the best experience and then everything else just feeds into that so i think too often people that release the apps that are not a joy to use that's not what they're thinking of number one. Exactly. What they're thinking of number one is what's the quickest, easiest, cheapest what's way for us to get this done. What's the most cost-effective way? How how can we use our yeah. how can we lever our, leverage our existing investment to increase our audience market share across multiple platforms? Synergization. <laughs> hey, so uh, do we have any time for some more topics? We do. Would you like to talk about uh, Swift? Yes, I did lots of Swift today. Actually. That is number three on my or, list over or, here. Or second option, my weekend. I'm not really interested Swift. in your weekend. I wrote code all weekend. <laughs> it was exciting. Yeah, your app looks like it was put together in like a day. <laughs> I'm so I so so we now need to talk about our weekends because <laughs> you've gone into it. I, I participated in GovHack. Uh, yes. A hackathon. Forty eight hour hackathon. Yes. Um where the government makes some data available and encourages people to do stuff with it for cash prizes. And Ooh, um cash prizes. I uh, I think I've mentioned before I have quite a busy life with lots of family commitments and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to dedicate 48 hours of a weekend to running code. Episode ne- 29. Never going to happen. Uh, so I allocated myself Saturday night from 7 p.m. till when I fell asleep, which was... Seven thirty. <laughs> that's a that's a good call. Uh, no, I actually made it till midnight. That's pretty good. Whoa. So the, the fact that it looks done. like I did Big it in night. a day, yeah. I did it in like five hours. My first thought, I'll I'll be honest, like when I watched your your presentation of it, my yeah. first thought was this app kind of it it could do with some like visual polish, and then I thought to myself, hang on. It's, it's a it's an app for people who don't have good vision. So yeah, it's an app for people who can't see really. It's, <laughs> it's so. The yeah. uh, the app, if anyone is interested, and um, please please be interested because I want your vote. <laughs> There's wow. a People's Choice That's, Award uh, as part of this competition, and if everyone it's like goes asking and, for ratings, it is. It's ex- it's exactly what I'm asking for. Go One to the, the thing in the show notes. <laughs> One star. It looks like it was built in three hours. <laughs> or, or five stars because it's awesome. Anyway, um, my my entry into this competition it was an app called accessibility beacon because everyone knows how much i love beacons. you do love beacons you love beacons almost as much as you love storyboards yeah oh it's a tough call um and the idea behind it is uh it's an app for blind people once you've got it installed on your phone uh if you enter a building that has an accessibility beacon in place you will receive a, a notification telling you voiceover will read you your notification and say this building has an accessibility beacon launch your app to find out more and then you launch the app and it knows which building you're in because of the beacon you have and arrived in alice springs yep alice springs center link well it said alice I know, springs i forgot to add the same <laughs> one bit uh and um then we'll give you a description of the physical layout of the room so that you can uh, find your way around without being able to see anyway that was my entry um cool idea thank you 
Thank you. I it was kind of fun it. to work on. And I kind of, I'm kind of cynical of hackathons, but GovHack is one that I quite like. I'm a bit of a fan of um, open data. So the Australian government has recently got behind it, but the US government and the UK government were kind of out in front. So if you're from either of those two countries, um, check out data.gov in the US and data.gov.uk in the UK. And the Australian one is data.gov.au. So I haven't seen the US one. I have looked at the UK one, and the UK one is very, very, very good. Yeah. Very, very good. The US, US like one's it's really also kind of amazing. Good. Um, I haven't at all even considered the idea of looking at the Australian one because I can only imagine how bureaucratic it is. Oh, no, it's actually... Oh, the website's pretty good. It's yeah. just it might be lacking a bit in terms of content compared to the other countries. Yeah, okay. And it's com- the content is going up there in... in- Huge amounts. In Some departments times. are better yeah. than others. Um, but the sure. idea behind open government and open data, if people haven't come across it before, is this idea that um, the government has a whole heap of data sets. Uh, and if they make them available to people at large, that can, they can useful things can be done with them. Potentially useful things that will make money for those people that are using it, but also potential useful things that will improve things for society and whatnot. Um, so anyway, check those out. Check that was out, my weekend. And check out Accessibility Beacon. Yeah, and give me five stars so that I can win the People's Choice Award. One star. Lacks visual polish. You're the person that voted one star, aren't you? <laughs> Did someone give you one star? I don't know. I think so. It yeah. wasn't me. I, I promise you it wasn't me. I, I didn't do it actually expecting to win anything. I just did it for fun. Um, well, yeah, let's talk about Swift. Let's because, talk about Swift. Um, so the thing that I wanted to point to touch on, and the reason why I've got it in my notes, is because um, because they released their Swift blog, Apple, that is app, they being Apple. Apple have a blog. Apple have a blog that's all about behind the scenes development of a Hang language. Hang on, I, I'm just at Apple have a blog. <laughs> Apparently they already had one. Well, it was like... Clang team or one of the other open source teams did yeah. have one. Oh, um, there's some people contributors to WebKit. Like, uh, Dave Hyatt had a blog about WebKit for the longest time. Um, mm. To be fair, that's open sourced stuff, though. So yep, not true. So much. Oh no, they were blogging about stuff in the WebKit nightlies where the source code wasn't yet back in the WebKit. I think. I don't know. But still, like, anyway, open source related. Swift is, like, completely closed. But Apple have a blog. Yeah, that's cool. There's not a lot on it yet. There's not a fair. lot on it. Well, I mean, every every blog has its first post. It does. And at least this one isn't called first post. That's true. Um, I did actually learn something from it, which kind of answers, and this is why I have it in the show, in my, the show notes, in my notes, in, in the jelly notes. Mm. Uh, because last week I was kind of curious about Swift and iOS 7 compatibility, and now that kind of all ties in together. Apparently, it'll even run on iOS 6. Like, people have done it, and it works. Right. Yeah, I heard that too. I heard well, it went back to 5. Right. right. Well, I didn't know that. Not officially supported, but... Yeah. No, of course no. not. They're, they're only saying iOS 7. Yeah. And That's right. Mavericks, I think. Yeah, sure. Um, But the, the question came up in the last episode. For some reason, I can't even remember why. But the answer that was given to me in the last episode was something along the lines of binary compatibility. Well, it runs on the... You haven't said the question yet. Oh, yes, you... So the reason it's backwards compatible. The reason it's backwards compatible. Yeah, it's because it compiles to proper native code and runs on the Objective-C runtime. Well, it doesn't run on the Objective-C runtime. It runs on the Swift runtime. Definitely runs... You guys have both said this to me now. It definitely runs (laughs) on the Objective-C runtime. The whole... I did this, like... 
down to the very bare bones today. So Objective C is a hack on C. Yep. Swift is a hack on Objective C. Is it? Yes. So well, because it's in Swift classes. They're building the runtime like you, you, the runtime is bundled into the app. Yes. So that's what I was saying. I don't think runtime is what you think runtime. So okay. So the Swift. This is how it works. Basically, your Swift classes are Objective C classes. So they Objective C classes are built up of structs. This is where I thought this was going to be too technical for a podcast and probably better for a blog post. But anyway. Do the blog post, but also talk about it now because you've got me. Okay. so I'm not sure I believe you. 100% Swift is just running on Objective-C. They package Swift classes into Objective-C classes. But the trick is, so the way it works is every Objective-C class has a superclass pointer, right? Yeah. And you follow that up the chain. This is the isa. Pointer. The ISA pointer goes to where the class struct is, right, or something, which is Objective-C 1. Objective-C 2 does it a little differently. But anyway, so you follow the chain up of superclasses, and in Objective-C, you get to NS object. Yep. The trick is in Swift, you follow the chain up. You don't, they switch it out. You don't end up at NS object. You end up at Swift object, which is a hidden class that you can't, like, type in and pull up as a header for. But it definitely exists because if you dump the class list, when you're running your app, it's there. And what they do in there is they implement things like retain, release, perform selector, all of those things, so that when the Objective-C runtime goes and calls whatever methods it does, it gets the Swift versions of them. And that's what's packaged uh, in your app to make that work. Right. Which would explain why it's so little. Yes. Yeah, so, and your one was Objective Message Send isn't used anymore. Yeah. So Swift switches Swift it out for a vtable and... Oh, there's a technical term for it. Name muddling. So method names in Swift, if you dump your method name, it's not... Actually, no, method names are the same. Class names, sorry. Class names, if you dump them, are a weird name that's like underscore T, S, F, C, a number, then your class name, and then another number. And that's because they also do like string matching to find methods. And those numbers are the length of characters that the name is called and stuff like that. Oh, uh, right. But anyway, that's, what, that's what's happening. Okay. And the other thing that happens is Objective-C methods normally have a type pointer that tells you the type information. Swift classes just set that to null to make sure, apparently, it's not confirmed, but it's to make sure Objective-C doesn't try and do something weird with the, the type because it never should know about that. But anyway, yeah. The reason I started doing all this is because you asked for a way to dump properties. So on yes. Objective-C, you could just like look up the property names and then set them. Yeah, I kind of did, but then I kind of was comfortable with not being out. I moved on from that. Yeah. But anyway, I wanted to see if it was... <laughs> That's Jake in a sentence. <laughs> I wanted to see if it was possible. Is it? Oh, I got so close. So I managed to get all the properties. Yeah. I got all their names, and this is using the runtime methods, the old school Objective-C, class, get, method, instance, all of that stuff. Yeah, so my understanding of this is, um, let's backtrack a little bit. What I was doing in Swift this, since the last episode, uh, parsing JSON, requesting, fetching, Mm. parsing JSON. And um, I wanted, I'd written some code that was pretty naive. I had like three methods that were requesting three different entities from a RESTful web service. And they're basically all doing the exact same thing. Like the thing you would blog post. Yeah. Lots of identical code. Blog posting about. Yep. (laughs) NSURL session, data task, get one of those. When it, in its completion block, if there's not an error, get the response and send it to NSJSON serializer, turn it into a 
dictionary or an array of dictionaries and then go through them and pull the stuff out that I want and stick them into my model classes and yeah. then return them. So I had three methods that were all doing that repeatedly and I'm like, this is a lot of repeated code. I should refactor it. And one of the first ways I wanted to re- I kind of thought of refactoring it was to do something a little bit like um, what JSON does on Android. So JSON. JSON. It's a JSON parser for Android. Google's JSON parser, JSON, as opposed to JSON. Yep. Um, and it lets you annotate your entities, your model objects. Uh, basically, you use the extensible metadata that Java has to say when you've got your property, which is maybe it's a type string and it's called address, uh, you could have a little annotation that says um, the JSON key for this is, I don't know, business underscore address or whatever. Um, and then the JSON parser uses reflection to, to reflect on the public properties that have those attribute annotations, attributes, and uh, then knows how to pull values out of JSON dictionaries. So I thought it would be cool if we could do something like that in Swift. Hence, I was trying to figure out if Swift supports reflection. Um, and where I got to... And it does. So where I got Not to was really. that it kind of does it. There are two ways. One is that um, there's some stuff built in to, to let Xcode know about the language. So it works, but it probably shouldn't be used at it's, runtime. It's probably more of an edit time thing. And it's probably private. And yeah, it's probably not supported and slow. And anyway, yep. apparently it's there. So I kind of thought well, I'm not going to use that. And then if you subclass, if your Swift class has that um, obj-c annotation and has been written to work with Objective-C or yeah. subclasses NS object, then you get the same sort of reflection that comes in foundation and his object but i kind of um when i was doing this i was kind of trying to approach things the swift way i'm using oh yeah for sure and i'm like okay well if this hasn't been built into the base swift class then there's kind of a reason for that i'm going to just go with the things that they've given us in the basic swift but are you saying that you can do it without subclasses? so the problem object? is yes you can cool in pure swift technically I mean, it uses the same C methods that Objective-C would use. So if you consider that not Swift. So it's mm. not Objective-C either. Yeah. It's I... the runtime stuff. And it's all that class get, class list, class get, method names. So they're available in Swift as like Swift functions. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, and so the problem, they're all written for Objective-C, the Objective-C runtime, which means some of them work and some of them unless I'm misunderstanding, aren't working. And some of them are just have been declared you can't use them. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure actually how they do that. But anyway, it won't let you compile using that function call. Right. Um, and the problem I got to was I managed to get a list of all the properties, which are actually not properties in Swift. They're IVARs, which is a bit of a change. Yep. Um, so I managed to get a list of all the IVARs, not the properties, because there's two methods for that, get properties and get IVARs of a class. The next problem is you need to know if it's an object or if it's a primitive, because objects are stored as pointers, primitives are stored right there. And because that type member of the class struct is null, I cannot work out how to tell the difference, because it's all just numbers. Mm. And so that's as far as I got. So if you knew all of your IVARs were objects, then you could set them with strings, you know, like. But they're still missing that magic uh, metadata. Yeah, an attribute. Yeah, an attribute that would allow you to sort of say, 
um, I know that this property is called such and such, but in the JSON, look for the look for it with this other name. Yeah, um, can't do custom. Yeah. Well, not not as nice as in Java or C sharp. So I gave up on that, and in the end, I wrote a protocol for my model objects that said that they should all have a const- all of their constructors should take a dictionary. So if you want to be a model object in my app, then you need to have a initializer that takes a dictionary so that I can just give you a dictionary that I've gotten back from NSJSON serializer and you can initialize yourself with it. Um, and that worked well. Yeah, uh, and then very was, swifty. Yeah. Mm. And then I was able to use um, generics to refactor my other code so that I could um, basically write a single method that could do the stuff that all of my others needed to do, which was basically make a request to a URL for some data, um, use NSJSON serializer to parse it into a dictionary, and then go through the dictionary and, and, well, pass that dictionary to the initializer of the appropriate type. So basically my method had three things it needed to know, the um, URL to get stuff from, maybe only two things, the URL to get stuff from, and the type that I was expecting back, whether it was a, what were my types, location, collection, artwork, because that was the app. Um, and yeah, generics obviously lets you do that. You can write a method that is can be parameterized with a type, um, so that within the body of the method, you're just referring to generically the type that I've been parameterized with. And then when you call it, uh, you call it with a specific type and, um, and then it can work on it. It's cool. I mm. like it. I'm excited about generics. The one thing that kind of tripped me up for a while there was I was used to, I think Java, where you explicitly parameterize the types when you're calling it like you actually write the type in in the call so you say mm. get the things and here's the type whereas in swift it wants to use type inference so basically all you have to do is declare a variable of the type and then call the method assigning the result into that variable and then it will implicitly know the type that you must be wanting to pass to the generic method right which is so it's like it's Hmm. So you just go like so for I, I basically ended up with a method that you could say uh get an entity from a URL and you'd go var say person as a person entity get entity and pass it the URL and because right. you're assigning the result into a person variable that get method would know that it needed to pass the json and create a new instance of a person passing it the right so it, so it, uh, it it's kind of like i'm trying uh, i'm trying to like cram this knowledge into my old-fashioned brain um old-fashioned objective c brain so it's it's like it would be kind of akin to when you're trying to get a get a value out of a method that returns an id in objective c where you have to if you really want to use it, you need to, or like it could be like a subclass or something and you have to, um, you have to cast it. Yes. Cast it. It's kind of like that, but you don't have to cast it. But even better. Because the compiler knows. Well, right. Right. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a perfect. And the other thing is <sighs> comparison. Those, the objective C versions, you would have to write different ones for each type, even yeah, if yeah. it is ID. Yeah. Unless you're on the inside, stick a huge if in and say, if classes, this do this, if classes, yeah. this do this. My handles all that for you. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And then the other thing that I didn't realize was possible, but turns out is in Swift, is that your protocols um, 
firstly, you can have protocols that declare the initializers that classes must have, which I didn't think you could do in Objective-C. Yeah, I was wondering that too after you did that. Um, and then secondly, with generics, you can express that the type must satisfy certain constraints. So you don't just parameterize your method as saying, this method will work on any type T. You can write, so in my example, I said um, this get whatever method uh, will work on any type T so long as T conforms to the serializable protocol that I'd written. Well, technically, you can kind of do that with, like you use that sort of setup with delegates in Objective-C. Like you can set a de- you can set it, when you set a delegate or if you create a delegate and you want to put it on a, on a class that you've written, you can specify that it, like that it only will take this yeah. particular thing when it's when it's got this protocol when it conforms to this specific protocol. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that way when you when you try to set something that's not doesn't conform to that protocol, you get a warning, a yeah. static analyzer yeah, exactly. warning. Yeah. Protocols in Objective C can define inner oh, methods because NS coding does it in it with Coda. I just never used them before. Just never realized I was using them. Anyway, um, that was my yeah. foray into Swift this uh yeah, I, I highly recommend trying to pull Swift apart. That's what I was doing today. I got lost. Because you can. You can totally work with pointers and all that in Swift. See, our brains just work in different ways. <laughs> I'd highly recommend trying to build something with Swift. And you'd be like, pull Swift apart, see what's happening on the inside. And yeah. I'm all like, I'm just going to ignore Swift until <laughs> I get to the point where I can actually do something with it. Yeah, I would say if you're only mildly curious to hold off because i mean there's yeah. huge changes going on you may as yeah. well just wait till the end well that's yeah. and that's the thing like I, I i have a limited amount of time now that i'm working in a situation where i've got a nine to five that i have to deal with and then i have to apply the additional time that i have to other yeah. things yeah. episode 29 we discussed this before actually everything is episode 29 today was 20, yes, it was twenty. Must have been a good episode. I've got to re-listen to that one. I can't. Oh, I, I, I listened said. to this first initial segment uh, that we where we talked about diversity and stuff, and uh, we're actually touching on a lot of the same topics just randomly. Um, what was I saying? Oh, I've only got a set limited amount of time, and so I'm just like, well, if I'm going to be working on stuff, I'm going to be working on stuff that I'm yeah. actually going to ship. Um, so it's oh, been things. So like, am I. I'm shipping this Swift. No, 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 no. I know. But, like, I want to be able to ship, like, I want to be able to finish a project, finish static tables, ship it. Yep. I want to finish the next thing that I'm working on and ship it yep. and get it out of my life and be done with that yep. that particular instance of the thing that I'm working on. I don't know that I've made a good decision or not, but basically I've decided to get into Swift by building something and it's I'm in the same boat. I can't really afford to spend time just messing around. So I'm building something that is an app for a client uh, in Swift, but this one in particular is <laughs> you give me this. <laughs> um, the, the, is that a good idea? The the one that I'm working on at the moment uh, is a sort of admin app that it will be used by people to. Um, so the app, uh, which the public facing one, is um, for people to uh, recognize artworks. You hold your phone up to an artwork and it will tell you information about that work. The Swift one I'm referring to now is the app that curators will use to catalog the works, to like take a photo of it and submit it to the recognition service and add some details. Um, and given that I know who the users will be and what devices they'll be using and what OSs they're going to have, I think it's a safe bet. The public-facing one, mm, I don't know yet. The timeframes are probably that we could do it in Swift. Um, I'm keen to 
start using it as soon as possible. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, like, I mean, to be perfectly fair, fair I, I want to start using it as soon as I can. At this point in time, I think it's, I mean, as far as, like, for instance, Gifwrapped is concerned, I'm well and truly holding off on that because my current plan is to get it out the door in its with some updates to it and the best thing that I can do is focus on yeah. the current and we don't actually version. really know when we'll be able to submit apps in Swift like no, a, you do. Apple's blog have said when Xcode 6 is out of beta you totally can do it when Xcode 6 is out of beta which means we that don't know when that is but it's going to be like several days before uh, iOS 8 comes out yep but we don't know when that is sure but you'll be able to ship them for iOS 8 yeah yeah I'm more concerned. I'm not so much concerned about getting a, an app out the door for iOS eight. I'm more concerned with getting, like, for instance, GIF wrapped out the door, Prior probably pre that. Yeah, pre. That was iOS my point. That given that we don't know when iOS eight is really coming, we right. we can all anticipate September or October. I'd love to get an iOS eight update out for GIF wrapped, but it's just I don't know if I'm going to have the time. Mm. And honestly, there are plenty of there's plenty of functionality that I can get in there that isn't extensions at this point in time. Although I know everybody wants extensions. Gift keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. So many requests for WWDC for a gift. Everybody keyboard. wants a gift keyboard. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. Do I'm, it. I'm Do wild. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stop wasting time on this podcast. Get well, on with your gift I've, keyboard. I've got I've got other things to get done. Look, um, uh, we won't go into we we've, we've run out of time well and truly, so we won't go into all the Swift updates that came out apparently. Well, just the erase syntax change. I had to move some brackets around. Was there other yeah. stuff? Is it? Is that it? Mainly array syntax and array. So the stuff we talked about last episode, or Ben talked about, yeah. about array weirdness. Yeah, they it's not. It's it. not weird anymore. Oh. They listened to Ben. They did. They clearly Thank like. You, they Apple. picked out. They picked out this podcast and listened to Ben and just went, "Wow, he he knows his stuff." Hmm. He's we clearly. Yeah, a little bit of syntax him. changed. Arrays got a huge overhaul. That was the main stuff. Cool. Update done. So now arrays are actually when yeah, you, what when you want an immutable array, you get an immutable Properly array. immutable array. That's awesome. Mm. That's what we want. Well, hi. <laughs> <laughs> you were listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about mobile development for mobile devices. This is episode number 36, and it's hosted by Jake McMullen. Bye. And Ben Frangrove. Hi. And myself, Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. If you would like to read about any of the things that we have talked about on this show, um, there will be show notes for you to click, tap, etc. and uh, go on and read. Uh, they will all be on our website. That is mobilecouch.co forward slash 36. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do that as well. We will would love to get an email from you. Love, love, love. Um, you can do that on our website as well. That is mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us individually, you can do that. Jake is on Twitter as jmcmullen. That's J-M-A-C-M-U-L-L-I-N. And Ben Trengrove is on Twitter as Ben Trengrove. Yep. That's B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And I am on Twitter as well as Jelly Bean Soup. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a blast, and we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks. Well, not seeing, but, you know, this whole thing again. In two weeks' time, we will talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.